Hannah from the sermon series Unsung Heroines of the Faith, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. Today we are beginning a new series, Unsung Heroines, Celebrating Women of Faith in the Bible. Over the next few weeks and going throughout March, which is Women's History Month, we are going to be looking at um, the lives of some women in the Bible who have pressed into their faith in profound ways. And we would be remiss if we didn't learn from their wisdom. Our faith and how we approach it and what we learn about God is not just what we learn from men. It's not just what we're shaped by men. Women throughout time have been the backbones of Christianity. From saving nations to serving Jesus to to financing the early ministry of the church to becoming martyrs and living as missionaries in foreign lands to preaching and teaching and serving in churches and raising faithful children and calling nations to justice. But unfortunately, only certain names are heralded and certain lives are deemed worthy of preservation in our collective memories, but we want to change that at Metro. The stories of women of faith matter. And the women we will encounter over the next few weeks are heroines of our faith, not because they slayed giants like David, but because they overcame the giants in their lives through incredible faith and perseverance. So I am excited and proud to begin this series with all of you, and I do mean all of you because that includes you too, brothers. Just because we're talking about women does not mean that you can tune out or stop attending church for the next couple of weeks. Somehow, women have figured out a way to learn about God from men, and we hope that you will learn about God from some of the women. Amen? Amen. Because whenever the word of God goes forth, um, we can learn something. So this morning, we are going to begin our series by talking about Hannah. And Hannah is not necessarily an unsung hero. We are probably very familiar with her story. Some of you might even be named after Hannah. Um, Pastor Peter talked about that earlier. I found out that is quite a very Asian thing to do, to name your children after women in the Bible. So there might be some Hannahs here. There, you might know someone who is Hannah, um, who was named after, the, after Hannah in the Bible. So you know the story very well. Hannah stands out as a heroine of our faith because of her deep faith in the midst of intense heartache. And when we look at the history of Israel, we see that it was Hannah's intimate relationship with God and her faith that turned the tide for the people of Israel. Through Hannah's faithfulness in the face of her own personal um, heartache, she would give birth to a son. And her son Samuel would be the transitional figure between the judges and the kings, and he would try as best as he could to keep Saul and David on track before God. But even more than a mother, Hannah is worth our attention because of her deep faith and heartfelt prayer while enduring much heartache. She never gave up on God. And that's what makes her a heroic woman of faith. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, and it's also behind me on the screen. Here begins the word of the Lord. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Eliahu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, 
and a Aphromite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Hannah had children, excuse me, Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor shall ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observes her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, before they, early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord and they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Hannah finds herself in line of women unable to have children, like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel before her. And as we read the Bible, we see that women who are considered barren are often a signal that will bring forth a child of great importance to God's kingdom. Their infertility is highlighted not for their physical lack, but for God's power and sovereignty. Sarah would bear Isaac, Rebecca would give birth to Jacob, Rachel would have Joseph, and later Elizabeth would become the mother of John the Baptist. But just like the other women, Hannah would face deep pain and distress before finally becoming a mother. When we read, when we find Hannah in the text, she is miserable. She is barren. As you know, during this time, a woman's value was bound up in her ability to have children, particularly a male child. They would be the heirs for the husband or the one who would care for their mother if the husband would die first. And so barrenness was ridiculed. Hannah was, was vulnerable to the expectations of others, but she also wrestled with her own internal feelings of failure and inadequacy. It caused her to weep. And the Bible says she even stopped eating. 
It was deeply painful for her. And to make matters worse, she was provoked by her husband's second wife, Peninnah. This woman had been brought in to do what she was unable to perform herself. Now, I'm not married. But for all the married women here, can you imagine? You're not a great cook. So your husband marries another woman to come in and feed your family. Now, maybe some of you don't mind that because you don't like cooking anyway. (laughs) But you can imagine the pain that that would cause this woman. For Hannah, this second wife added to her misery. She knew why she was there. And that was bad enough. But Peninnah, probably out of her own pain of knowing that she wasn't the loved wife, provoked Hannah even the more. She teased her and gloated about her own children and ridiculed Hannah because of her condition. So Hannah, at this point, is broken. The weight of societal pressure, the pain of a broken heart, the misery of an unfulfilled dream. I I have friends who struggle with infertility, and every month that they receive their menstrual cycle is like a dagger to their heart. Can you imagine the pain that Hannah is going through? There really are no words for her. Have you ever been in a situation that caused you this much pain? That felt like barrenness in your own life? Has something troubled you so deeply that your heart actually hurts? That you don't just cry, but you sob and the pain wells up from somewhere deep inside you that you didn't even know existed? It causes your knees to buckle and it causes you to cry out in desperation on the one hand and on the other hand, it takes your breath away. Have you ever been there? You've wanted something so bad that your body could feel it. For your prodigal child to come back. For your spouse to return, for a loved one's salvation, for the mending of a broken relationship, for the grief of a death to end, for your own health to be restored, for your own longing for a child or for a spouse, for your unemployment status to change, you need God to come now and come fix this situation. But what happens when God is the cause of your distress? The Bible states in verses 5 and 6 that the Lord closed up her womb. Through no fault of her own, Hannah is barren. This was the will of God. And this can be hard for us to wrestle with, that the Lord would cause us to endure so much pain. But King Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. And Job, after losing his money, his children, his failing health, his wife demands that he curse God and die. And he says to her, shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not also receive the bad? We don't like to admit it, but sometimes God puts us in these difficult situations. While God is not the author of evil, sometimes he just allows something to happen to us and he affirmatively puts it in place to grow our faith. We must learn to accept the things that excite and thrill us 
as well as the things that are placed there to stretch us and to mature our faith. Because we know that if it comes from God, it is wrapped in love and it is part of the all things that work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The purpose of Hannah's brokenness was not just to cause her undue pain. There was a purpose that God would fulfill through her, not just for her, but for the entire nation of Israel. Hannah was in a situation created by God and God was the only one who could fix it. So what do you do when you've been living with this pain for so long? What do you do when you've been waiting? How do you handle the soulful agony? Hannah shows us how to have heroic faith, faith in the face of heartache. To have heroic faith in the face of heartache, first we must stand up. Stand up. Hannah had a determined spirit and she stands up in the midst of her pain. Look at verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Hannah and her family had traveled from Ephraim, their home, to Shiloh where they worshiped. And part of the religious ceremony included bringing sacrifices to the animals and those animals would then be cooked. And then the meal, the, it was a large lavish meal and the meal would be doled out amongst the family. And Elkanah would give Peninnah her, her amount for her and her children, but he would give Hannah a double portion because he loved her so much. But I believe that Hannah saw that as pity. She couldn't really appreciate that. And to top it all off, Peninnah continued to provoke her about what she wasn't able to do. But rather than wallow in her sadness and heartache, Hannah stands up. Her standing is as much metaphorical as it is actual. She stands up to go to the sanctuary, but more than that, she stands up so that her spirit would know that we're not going to sit down anymore. She determines that she is not going to sit in her misery anymore. In spite of, or perhaps because of her infertility, Hannah is a strong woman of faith. Hannah had, had suffered enough that it strengthened her resolve in God. Her endurance had been tested by years of suffering and waiting, and she was stronger for it. So much so that I believe she epitomizes what Paul will later say in Romans 5. We know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. She had suffered because of her condition, and yet she would not let her suffering defeat her. Her suffering produced in her a perseverance that determined that she would not give up. She would not let her condition defeat her. This is where her faith was tested, but this is also where her faith is proven. I believe someone needs to hear this message this morning because some of you are going through some really difficult situations. Some of you have had a diagnosis that you don't really know what to do with. You are wrestling with unfulfilled dreams and you've been praying for your spouse or your child to come to faith and it hasn't happened yet. Your marriage is in shambles. It's been over a year and you're still unemployed. But Hannah shows up that we cannot give up. The enemy would want us to sit in despair. The enemy would want us to shut ourselves in, to, to get under the covers and never leave the house again. The enemy would want us to give up on God. 
Hannah could have stayed in her misery and I'm sure the people around her would have understood. But that's not what Hannah does. Hannah refuses to be defeated. She stands up. And in standing up, she reminds us that we can stand up too. Standing up might mean actually standing up and leaving the house instead of sitting alone crying. Standing up might mean going to seek counseling because you realize you can't handle it anymore by yourself. Standing up might mean going out and serving somewhere in the church or in the community so that you're not sitting alone wallowing in self-pity. Standing up might look differently for each of us, but Hannah shows us that we must stand up. We must stand up out of despair and self-pity. Hannah demonstrates for us that even in the midst of heartache, our faith demands that we stand up. Second, Hannah shows us that we demonstrate heroic faith when we pour out our soul to the Lord. When we pour out our soul to the Lord through prayer, Hannah presented herself and her concerns to the Lord. Look at verses 10 through 16. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Hannah stands up in the midst of her sorrow with a mission to pour out her soul to the Lord. This may not seem incredible for us today, but it was truly groundbreaking at that time. No other woman is mentioned in the Old Testament going into the house of the Lord and praying. Remember, during this time, only the men made sacrifices and only the men were priests and were allowed to pray in the temple. But here is this woman desperate to have her concerns made to the Lord. So she shakes off social conformity and she goes where she knows the Lord's presence dwells. The relief she needed from the pain she suffered could not come from another human being. She needed divine intervention. And she sought relief only from God. And you know how it is. It's so easy to go around and talk to other people about what we need. But the truth of the matter is, talking to your friends, even your good God-fearing friends, is no substitute for going before the Lord. And the Lord does not reject her. Often in society and even in churches, we create these divisions between what men can do and what women can do. But Hannah shows us that God is not concerned with the restrictions men place on women's movement, their service, or their presence in the temple. She is welcome. All of her, with her concerns and her tears and her heartache and her pain, all of her, his, all of her is welcome in the house of the Lord. And Hannah prayed so fervently that Eli thought she was drunk. 
She was so focused on God and her pain so deep that it didn't matter who was around her and it didn't matter what anyone thought. She needed to have her prayers heard by her father. She needed to cry out to the Lord. She was pouring out her soul to the Lord. The kind of pain Hannah endured could only be cured by divine intervention. So she retreats to a place where it's only her and God. Nobody else heard this prayer except God. And this is why I love Hannah so much. She is audacious and she is focused. She demonstrates a courage that comes from her desperation. She demonstrates a confidence that comes from knowing that only God can heal her pain. She understood that the Lord Almighty is the all-powerful deliverer of those in distress, and that includes her. Do you know that the ability to pour your soul to the Lord, to pray through the pain, to pray through the bitterness and the distress and the disappointment, that is powerful faith. That is mature faith. That's heroic faith. It's faithful stubbornness, despite the odds, despite what it looks like, despite what other people might say, you keep going. That's endurance. Nowadays, we like to call it grit, right? Grit is what researcher says separates those who are successful from those who are less successful. Can you keep going is the question. Can you keep fighting? Can you keep praying? The ability to persevere over the long haul is is what makes Hannah a, a hero of our faith. She is able to remain faithful to God in the midst of her enduring heartache and her disappointment. We need some people with some perseverance. Some people with grit, holy grit. Because some of us are going through some things in our lives that are not going to be resolved in five minutes. They're not going to be resolved in five days, not even five years. God wants to mature you through these situations, but you have to remain strong to dig down deep and to keep praying and serving and keep believing. You have to be able to tell God that I'm going to go all the way with you. You have to be able to hold on to the scripture that says that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings as an eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Because it's in the praying, in the pouring out of our souls before the Lord that we are strengthened for the journey. That is what Hannah's prayer demonstrates. Have you ever poured out your soul to the Lord? Have you ever been so focused on God hearing your petition that it didn't matter who was sitting next to you? It didn't matter what was going on around you? Have you ever gotten to the point where it didn't matter if anyone else was praying because it was only between you and God? I think sometimes, like in our generation, we have become so modern, so sophisticated. We've tried to to push away from our, our parents' way of doing church and religion that we don't get dirty and messy with our prayers anymore. But I've spoken to some of you, and I know that you come from charismatic backgrounds and Pentecostal backgrounds, and, and you stayed up all night praying and crying out to God. 
Mascara has run down your face and, and your, your cheeks were red and flush and your knees went numb from kneeling and praying and your arms got tired from holding them up to God. Now, this doesn't mean that God only hears us when we do that, but sometimes I think we need to shake things up a bit and let God know that we need to hear from him. Sometimes I think we need to show God that we don't care about who's around us because it's only about him. And if you've been in enough pain and you know that God is the only one who can deliver you, it doesn't matter who's around you. Sometimes we have to break protocol. And sometimes we have to break form because that's what our pain requires. I met some wonderful people when I was in seminary, and one of them was my friend, my dear friend, Ed Adams. Ed was a year ahead of me, and he was like one of those people who had grown up just in like all around ministry. He was like, uh, like, like a little baby preacher kid, you know? Um, and so by the time he got to seminary, even though he was only maybe 30 or so, he was so mature and he had such pastoral care. And in my first year, Ed's second year, Ed was diagnosed with a malignant tumor in his brain. And all of us, all of our friends, we rallied beside him and his wife as best we could. We prayed and we, and we visited and we sent meals. And on the day of his first surgery, we set up a 24-hour prayer line. And so for 24 hours, there was a different person on the line praying for Ed. And he was able to, to come back to school um, uh, shortly after the surgery. But things became progressively worse for him. The cancer appeared in other places and it started to spread. And in my third year, we realized that things were not going well. And so we organized a school-wide prayer vigil for Ed. And I would like to say that this was a nice, dignified prayer service in Duke's Goodson Chapel. But the only way I can describe it is to say that we tarried before the Lord that we stayed on our knees and we prayed and we cried out to the Lord. We cried and we prayed and we wailed on the author, on the altar. Why? Because the pain was that deep. My friend was dying and only God could intervene. Hannah is our foremother in faith who shows us what it means to pour out our souls before the Lord, confident that he will hear our cry. But for those of you who are not expressive and prefer to be a bit quieter, take heart, because Hannah's prayer was actually a silent prayer. Yet it was still considered unusual for the time because at the time all the prayers were said aloud. So she did look crazy. She did look like she was talking to herself. She did look like she was drunk. But no, hers was actually a very personal, desperate prayer. It was so unusual that Eli is skeptical. It was so powerful, however, that it remains a model of prayer for Jews even today. Her prayer is the reason why the, Jewish, the primary Jewish prayers are said in a whisper. Hannah demonstrates a boldness even in her posture of prayer because she knows that only God can deliver her from her pain. But it's not just the mode of prayer, but the content of Hannah's prayer that is important. 
she models submission and sacrifice when she makes her vow to God. Hannah calls herself a servant before the Lord. She belongs to him and she understands his sovereignty over her life. She understands that her relationship with God is not just about taking all the time. It's also about giving as well. She's willing to give up what she wants the most, a son, and return him back to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Hannah makes an incredible vow to the Lord. The very thing she loves the most, she is willing to give up. Now, Hannah doesn't do what we tend to do. We do the, you know, God, if you give me this car, you know I will go to church every Sunday. <laughs> right? Or, or, or it maybe for more spiritual, we say, God, if you just get me out of this situation, I'll never ask you for anything else again. Right? We know better than that. But Hannah's vow was sincere, and it was serious. She keeps her vow, because if you read later on in the chapter, you find out that when Samuel turns three, around three, and he's weaned, she takes him back to the temple. She, lays, she gives him to Eli so that he can be raised before the Lord to serve the Lord. Hannah's vow shows that she has rightly ordered her life. She doesn't make her desire for a son her idol. Serving the Lord is her primary aim, so her son would not be, her, be for her own benefit. It would be for the Lord. She knew that if granted, her son would not be for her. Nothing belonged to her. It all belonged to God. Hannah submitted her dream for a son to the Lord, and as desperately as she wanted a son, she was willing to sacrifice him back to the Lord. That is a heroic woman of faith. But let's get honest about prayer a little bit. Sometimes you can pour out your soul, cry more tears than you know you had, and God does not grant your request. We get frustrated and we said, God didn't answer my prayer. But that's not true. He did. We just don't like the answer that he gave us. God always answers prayer. It's either yes, no, or not yet. But so often we go into prayer forcing an outcome on God. And then we become disappointed and lose faith when he doesn't do what we ask of him. I've prayed for people to be healed. And some have. My uncle William is a survivor of colon cancer. I'm so grateful. And then others, like my mother, receive their healing in heaven. I've prayed for situations to change, and sometimes they did, and sometimes they didn't. It can be hard, and it can be confusing. Even Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Lord, take this cup from me. And God says, no. But the key to Jesus' prayer and the key to our prayer is not my will, but yours be done. So why do we pray? Why do we pray? We pray because we are transformed in the process. That we grow deeper in our relationship with God through the process. Don't let fear of a possible no or, or your disappointment about an actual no keep you from a relationship with God. 
There is more to God than just answering our prayers. Hannah didn't know what the outcome would be, but that did not stop her from going to the Lord. The night before Ed's first surgery, a few of us came to visit him in the hospital. And in the midst of our conversation, Ed, in his very wise way, um, dropped some like really important truth to us. He said, I now understand what it means for Job to never have cursed God. And what he meant was that when you're in seminary and you're training to serve God and your wife is pregnant with your baby and you're facing surgery because you have a malignant tumor in all places but your brain, it would make sense that you would want to curse God. But our faith demands more. Our faith in the Almighty God demands that we stand up to our fears, that we stand up to the doubts the enemy tries to plant in our heart and our minds, and we trust God anyway. From the moment we found out about Egg's diagnosis, we prayed for him, but sadly it was God's will to take Ed home on October 19, 2011. We were crushed and heartbroken. We had done everything we knew how to do for him. And we could have turned away from God, but we didn't because God had been gracious to Ed and God had been gracious to us. And God was and he is still God. And the truth of the matter is that since Jesus, if God never does anything else for us, he's already done more than enough. Jesus is still on the throne and all of us continue to worship God and all of us continue to serve God and all of us continue to lift up the name of God because our hope and our faith is not in the prayer we prayed, but in the one to whom we prayed. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the great redeemer and he will make all things new. So we demonstrate heroic faith in times of heartache when we stand up, when we pour out our souls to the Lord, and finally, when we worship. Hannah teaches us to worship even in the midst of heartache. Look at verses 17 through 20. Eli answered, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When Hannah finishes praying, she worships God. She hears from Eli, she lifts up her head, she leaves, and she worships. But did you notice that Hannah's situation hadn't changed yet? Eli had pronounced a blessing over her, but that was no guarantee that God would give her a son. God had never told her that she would become pregnant. She walked away still in her barren condition, yet she lifts up her head, she eats, and she worships. Her worship came before she became pregnant. 
She praises God before she ever held her baby in her arms. Why? Because Hannah understood that at the end of the day, God is still God. If Hannah never had a baby, God is still God. And if God never, never grants the request that we have on our hearts, God is still God. Yes, we praise him because he answers prayers, but even more so, we praise him because he is Lord, and we praise him because he is sovereign, and we praise him because he is holy and mighty, because his love is steadfast and his grace is far-reaching. We praise him because he is faithful even when we are faithless. We praise him because he is the almighty one, and we praise him because he gave us Jesus. Our worship is not dependent upon our circumstances, and it's not dependent upon our mood. Those things change day by day, moment by moment, but God is our constant. He is our constant, and that's why our worship should be constant. No matter what is going on in our lives, God remains the same. And Hannah knows this. Hannah laid her request before the Lord and she left God to do what God will do. Her role, to worship. I can almost see her coming into the sanctuary, head bowed down, crushed in spirit, crying. She goes before the Lord as best she knows how, pouring out her soul, but when she leaves, she leaves with her head held high because she had been in the presence of the Lord. She won a spiritual victory through her labor of tears and prayer. The rest was up to God. The psalmist reminds us, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. In leaving the sanctuary hope-filled, Hannah demonstrates great faith. Do you realize that the choice to smile in the face of heartache and distress and sadness and grief is an act of faith? It says to your heart and to your world and to the world that circumstances are not going to determine my countenance. My situation will not overwhelm me to the point of despair. Hannah chose to put her faith in God. She chose to not let her infertility keep her from trusting God. This is why she can eat. She had been depressed so much so that she didn't even eat. But now, having left the presence of God, having poured out her soul to the Lord, she gets up. She wipes her face, she eats, and she worships. She's turned her sorrow into praise. When we find ourselves in desperate situations, those are not the times to give up on God. Not at all. Those are the times that we press in even more. We stand up in faith, we pray, and we worship. The enemy wants nothing more than for us to give up on God to fixate so much on our situation that there's no room left in our heads for God. 
But I know you've heard the saying before, and it's so true. We don't tell God how big our problems are. We have to tell our problems how big our God is. Worship the Lord, Hannah teaches us. Worship the Lord. Those of you who've been waiting for five minutes and those of you who've been waiting for five years, worship the Lord because the Bible doesn't tell us how long Hannah had to wait. She had been married and who knows how long before they realized that she was infertile. And then he married someone else and then she had kids. Hannah had been waiting. But while she's waiting, she worships. And in the course of time, in the course of time, God remembered her and gave her a son. And when the Bible says that the Lord remembered Hannah, it doesn't mean that he had forgotten about her. No, that's a clue for us, the reader, that God is about to change, right? That things are, God's not about to change, that the situation is about to change. God is about to intervene and do something. And here he does. And God gives her not just a son, but he marks her in Jewish history. Her story is still read to this day by observant Jews on Rosh Hashanah. During the day of remembrance, her story is a reminder that God remembered the Jewish people. And he remembers us. What we think is hopelessness is not a barrier to God. It is an opportunity for us to trust him more. But let's be clear. The purpose of standing up in the face of heartache, of pouring out our soul to the Lord, of worshiping, is not to manipulate God into what we want him to do. In all these things, we are submitting to God and to God's will. We are building our faith and our endurance. We are moving into deeper relationship with him. And and Hannah shows us the transformative power of standing up and pouring out our souls to the Lord because it leads to worship and to our focus recentered on God. I know there are so many of you hurting right now, but I implore you, do not give up. Let Hannah encourage you, stand up. Don't let your situation defeat you. Keep pouring your soul out to the Lord. Keep praying, wipe your eyes and worship the Lord. Earlier we sang, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. We worship you for who you are. We worship you for who you are, not for what you've done just simply for who you are. Our God has never lost a battle. He hasn't. He hasn't. And so we worship in advance. We worship in advance because he's so good and he's still God. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you've never lost a battle. God, we thank you that you are always victorious. And whether we can see it or not, you are always at work in our lives. And so God, we thank you. God, we also know that there are some in the congregation today whose hearts are broken for whatever reason, Lord. 
you know, who are shouldering burdens that they can't carry anymore. Where aching and longing reside in their hearts. And so, Lord, for a moment, Metro, I am going to invite those of you who are burdened down with something, eyes still closed, heads still down, you're burdened with something. And I am going to ask you, as an act of faith, just to stand up where you are. Just stand up where you are as an act of faith. No one's looking at you. Heavenly Father, you see your children standing. Lord, they belong to you. God, they stand despite what they are going through. God, they stand to build muscle memory, not only in their bodies, but in their spirits, God, that they will not be brought down by the circumstances in their lives. God, they stand as an act of faith, God, trusting you that if they stand, God, you will hold them up. God, they stand in faith, God, because while they may not see the end, God, they know that you know the end. And so, God, on behalf of my brothers and sisters who stand, I pray that your grace would pour out upon them. I pray, oh God, that they might know your presence in a new way. God, and I pray that in the course of time that you would break whatever is burdening them, God. God, I pray that you will strengthen them to pour out their souls to you, never losing hope. God, I pray that you would give them perseverance and endurance to get through this season, God, because it is just a season. God, I pray that they would worship you even through the tears, that they would know in their heart of hearts that you are still God, that you are still good, that you are still faithful, that you are still loving, that you are still kind. And God, for my brothers and sisters who are not standing, whose lives are going well right now, God, we say thank you. And we pray that they might be an encouragement to their brother or sister, that they might speak a word of encouragement, that they would pray with them and for them, oh God, that we might run this race together, Heavenly Father. You may be seated. God, we worship you today, not because we know the ending to the story of our lives, but we know the ending to your story, that you always win, that you're always victorious, God, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so God, we thank you that you are with us that you never leave us nor forsake us, God, and that we can put our trust and our faith and our hope in you. It's through your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 
If you would now, I invite you to take out the um, communications card or your app and turn to the next steps. I want to take you through some next steps. We don't believe that the sermon ends here, that there's more that God wants to do in our lives. So if this applies to you, please check the box, one of these boxes. Number one, for the first time, I am ready to put my faith in Jesus. If you've never done so before, I invite you to do that today. Get to know Jesus. He has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he loves you so much. And if you've never done that before, I invite you to check that box off and meet us outside those double doors at the next table. There'll be somebody there who will pray for you, who will um, give you more information, and we'll be following up with you about your journey. Number two, I am going through heartache and I need to speak with a pastor. You cannot do this by yourself. And we don't want you to do it by yourself. That's why we're in community together. So if that's you, check that box off and we'll get back to you. Number three, I will spend time worshiping God outside of church. We've got to do more than just this on Sunday mornings. Take your worship out with you throughout the week. So please check that box off if you're going to spend some time worshiping God this week. Number four, I am free during the day on Tuesday, March 3rd to volunteer at Greco for Read Across America. If you have some time on your hands, one of the best things you can do is serve. And this is a great place to serve because we worship here. And if you're burdened down, this is a great opportunity because you can't be focused on yourself when you're in front of a whole bunch of little kids. (laughs) So if you have time to do that, check that off. Number five, I will sign up for a table or volunteer for Cultural Day. Pastor Peter spoke about that earlier. And number six, I will read Judges 5 verses 1 through 24 in preparation for next Sunday.